morning, church. Good morning. Oh, man, let's go for a third try. Good morning. Amen. Good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Riverside Lisbon, those who are here for the first time. Who's here for the first time in Riverside Lisbon? Can we see a show of hands? Not shy ones. Up there, up there so we can all see. Okay, round of applause to you. Welcome this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. Thank you for seeking a, a, a Christian community. I don't know if you're passing by Lisbon, if you're living here for a long time. Uh, I think we kind of gave it away that we are a community that simply loves Jesus. We love him so much for everything that he is. We, we love him because of the difference that he made in our lives. See, we know Jesus as the Son of God, as our Savior, this King of kings and Lord of lords, that life simply doesn't make sense without him. And we are getting together once again this morning to get to know more of him and to seek him with all of our hearts. Um, my name is Ruben. Uh, alongside Gabby, my wife, we are the lead pastors of Riverside Lisbon, so we really want to make sure that we welcome you to this place. And if you're looking for a Christian community, feel free to make this your home as well. And because everything is about getting to know Jesus better, we're continuing our message series called... Oh man, you can't remember. You have to look to the screens. Let's see it again. There you go, because it's at a meal where we get intimate with people, when it's when the opportunity presents itself so that we can get to know someone uh, more closely. And now we're on our fourth meal. A lot, of, a lot of food has passed by these meals. A lot of, we've digested and hopefully we made a good digestion of everything that we spoke so far. So it's the fourth meal and we're all invited once again to sit at another table with Jesus. But first, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story of a young man who recently had lost his, his job. And he was quite desperate for a job. He went looking online everywhere. Eventually, he found out that there was an opening at the zoo, of all places. And he went for the interview, and the interviewer said, oh, tragically, a gorilla that was part of this very popular exhibit that we have, he just died. And so we need to get this exhibit going. So we need someone to play the role of a gorilla and just be at the zoo. And this young man, he was kind of desperate for a job. He said, okay, I'll take it. I'll, I'm up for it. So he dressed up as a gorilla. He pretended to be a gorilla. In the beginning, it felt a bit awkward and a bit weird. But all of a sudden, and after a few days, he was kind of starting to act like a gorilla and making the children happy. And he would clap and he would... Uh, start and and then because he was kind of an athletic guy quite young not like me so he's quite young and going through the rings and doing all the things that gorillas were doing but one day he was getting so so and overconfident that he was going through uh, the zoo pre pretending that he was a gorilla and he fell in the lion's den and all of a sudden, this gorilla that everyone was looking and thinking, so athletic, what an amazing gorilla. This gorilla is shouting, hey, help me. I'm desperate. Hey, someone help me. And people were like, look, this gorilla can talk. And the lion was approaching. And the lion was approaching. And eventually, the lion comes to him and says, shut up, man, or you will get both us fired. Come on. <laughs> it's a fantastic zoo. It's not the zoo in Lisbon. That one you can go this to say 
that not everything that looks like a gorilla and not everything that looks like a lion. And today in the message and the passage that we're going to read in scripture, Jesus is going to show us that not everyone who looks spiritually healthy So we're going to open the Bibles in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. If you use your Bibles, if you have the Bible app, if you're taking notes, you can also follow from the screen. But how can you and I know that we're not like the men in this story, portraying something that we are not internally? How can we know we are spiritually healthy? And so this is what the Word of God says, starting in verse 33 in Luke and uh, 34 actually and if you want to stand with me Gabby did it last week and it's a good thing to do if you will stand with me so we can pay attention to what the word of God says and the word says your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body when your eye is healthy your whole body is filled with light but when it's unhealthy your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is teaching, and these are words of Jesus. He is teaching us something so, so important here. A healthy eye lets the light go inside the body. That's how we can actually see. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a doctor. But this is the logic behind it. Our eyes allow the light to go in. But an unhealthy eye can see no light. An unhealthy eye cannot allow the light to be inside of him. And more relevant than talking about physical blindness, Jesus is talking about spiritual blindness. And at that time, in the time of the New Testament, when Jesus displayed his word and he was displaying his works, the religious leaders of his day and many people simply could not accept Jesus because they were living in darkness. A darkness that was coming from within and prevented them from seeing the light of Jesus. And I know that even now, as we read the Word of God together, as I explain the Word of God to you, maybe some of these words that I'm saying are just flying over your head. They're not really making much sense to you right now. They simply maybe don't seem very important to you. But that's exactly the problem that Jesus is talking to us about. When we can't even see what we are missing. When we don't even know what we cannot understand. And in verse 35, Jesus says, make sure the light you think you have is not actually darkness. You need to keep checking what is inside your heart. You need to keep checking what is inside your life. Doctors will ask you to come visit them at least once a year. That's a good principle, even if you feel healthy. Why? Because it's better to prevent an illness than to treat it. Everything may seem fine, but you might already be developing a condition that will cause you a bigger problem later. 
And if we're able to catch it soon enough, it will be more, a lot easier to deal with. And if our physical health is important, and it is, and I don't want you to be hypochondriac, and oh, I haven't seen the doctor in three years, and, but you need to do something about it. Go check your, with your doctor. Physical health is important, but spiritual health and checking your spiritual health is vital. Every day you want to be exposed to Jesus' light. Every day you want to be exposed to the Word of God. Every day you want to confess to God your wrongdoings, confess your shortcomings to Him. Every day you need to make sure that there is no part of you that is being covered with evil, darkness. Every day we need to make sure no part of us is in darkness so that nothing is coming between you and God. So let's continue reading. And after Jesus was saying this in Luke 11 verse 37... When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So here we have the meal part of our story. A Pharisee invited Jesus for a meal and everything would be normal except in the beginning for this fact that it was a Pharisee that invited Jesus. And as I said, most religious leaders back at that day, they didn't like Jesus very much. A Pharisee was a member of a religious sect within Judaism. They were known for being strict followers of the law of Moses, but also the traditions that they continued to build throughout centuries. And I don't know if you know this or not, but mo many of them, most of them didn't like Jesus at all. Because in that society, the Pharisees, they represented what a man of God should look like. But then Jesus shows up, this man that didn't look the part, but all of a sudden, everyone could see the godliness in him. Everyone could see the love that he loved others. Everyone could see how Jesus was simply amazing. And as you can imagine, this didn't make the Pharisees look so well. Jesus basically made them look bad. And so Jesus was experiencing increasing conflict and opposition from them until the end of his life. But there was no hate in return. Jesus wasn't hating the Pharisees as they were hating him. Jesus spoke with them many, many times. Jesus was invited for meals. He would gladly go. Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and asking questions back and forth. And Jesus explaining Jesus wanted to spend time with people that were seeking him, with people that had questions for him. It wasn't about hate with Jesus. Jesus was available. So, of course, he was willing to eat once again with the Pharisee. He didn't have a problem with that. Now, we're going to see that this meal, and we already saw, it didn't have a great start, did it? According to the Pharisees, according to the traditions that they had, washing hands was a requirement, not because of hygiene or, or because it looked good, but it was a ceremonial practice. It was a religious practice. But it wasn't found in the law of Moses. It wasn't found in the word of God. It was something that they've created for themselves. So Jesus, he wasn't a Pharisee. So he wasn't following that law. Jesus didn't go inside that meal and making sure in front of everyone, hey, and now I'm going to sit at the table and I'm not going to wash my hands. 
No, he didn't do that. The Bible says he simply came in and he sat at the table like a normal person would. But the Pharisees, oh, this man didn't like it. This man didn't believe that Jesus was being appropriate in his own house. When no human being ever sat down at that table with hands cleaner than the ones of Jesus. The fact that the Pharisee was in shock made it clear that this man's heart wasn't in the right place. The fact that Jesus shocked this man showed that this man was in darkness. He was so focused on looking the part that he completely disregarded his own heart and what is inside. And there's a word for it in Scripture that Jesus is going to call this man and other people in this room, which is hypocrisy. You see, the Pharisees, they boasted about being morally and religiously superior to everyone else. They saw holiness as a game, and they play this game better than anyone else. And Jesus was ready <laughs> to go in. <laughs> Jesus was ready to call them out of their hypocrisy. Jesus was ready to call them out of their self-righteousness. And we're going to read what Jesus has to say about their hearts. And I'm going to warn you a little bit. This dinner, this meal, is going to get a bit uncomfortable. I want to invite Barry to come. And Barry has a beautiful voice. And we're, it's easier to close our eyes and pretend this is the, the voice of Jesus. So, Barry, if you can come quickly. <laughs> okay I didn't tell him so he's probably he needs to practice his voice a little bit you can warm up it's a bit cold in the room it's a longer passage that we're going to follow from the screen but it is something that Jesus is saying and because of that it's so important and we're going to draw last lessons from this so if you can please read from the screen Thank you. then the Lord said to him now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. 
Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Can you give a hand of applause to Barry? Now, how do you like this meal? <laughs> I don't think they even started with the starters. I think there was almost no time. And Jesus, at the end of this, he had his time. It was time to leave. Now, I know this doesn't look the same Jesus we read in other parts of the Bible. Calling people fools and hypocrites. It doesn't feel so kind feels so unlike the gentle and humble Jesus that we came to know from Scripture. And while this may be true, let me also say this. Jesus is still gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is still gentle and humble when he calls people out on their sin. He was still gentle and humble when he flipped the tables at the temple, expelling the salespeople. If there's anyone who can do all of this and say all of this and remain gentle and kind and not sin, it's Jesus. And when Jesus thinks it's time to tell them exactly how it is, we have to take it. No one likes to be called out. The experts in the law at one point, this, this speech was kind of to get long, and the experts in the law were like, we're in this room, Jesus. I mean, you're kind of being rude to us as well. I mean, the Pharisees, yes, I get it. But us, experts in the law, come on, Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, I haven't come, come to you yet. So it feels like in a way Jesus was on a roll. And you can tell by the words that Jesus used that Jesus wasn't soft-spoken. And very calm. Jesus was saying it as it was. And no one likes it. No one likes to be called out because it means that you're wrong and you're not seeing it yet. It's not going to feel good. And like the Pharisees did, we can become hostile. When God is telling us things how they are, sometimes we can respond with hostility. We can counter Jesus as they did with many questions. We can find reasons and excuses for our behavior instead of willingly admit, Jesus, you're right. Jesus, you're right about this. And admitting that we're wrong and that we need his grace and that we need the forgiveness of God. So it is important and it's such a big warning that for these men, the Pharisees, the scribes, the experts in the law, they thought they have it all together. They thought they were all of this and that. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe everything's okay. I'm okay with God. Everything is okay. When in fact, maybe and just maybe and very probably it is not. We are carrying symptoms of an illness that needs to be treated. 
And Jesus is going to help us identify it this morning. So let's all check our spiritual health this morning. Let's all see what we need to do to stay spiritually healthy. What are the lessons that we can take from this big speech of Jesus that left us a bit uncomfortable? And the first thing that Jesus shows us is that someone who's spiritually healthy focuses on what truly matters. Someone that is spiritually healthy focuses on what truly matters. The worst thing you could do for a Pharisee would accuse him of breaking the law. Oh man, that would be the end of the world. Any law for that matter, no matter how small the Pharisees believed, we're following exactly what God wants us to do. The, the Jesus quoted and said they would make sure that even a tenth of any herb that would grow in their backyard, they would give to the temple, that they would give it back to God. But if they were busy with such little things and little details, of course, they started losing the big picture. They started losing the focus on what truly matters in life. And what truly matters, Jesus says, is God's justice. It's God's love. That's what truly matters. So hypocrisy majors on the minors. Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point in Matthew, you strain out a mosquito, but you swallow a whole camel. That was the problem with these men. They were so concerned with little things that don't really matter that much. But then, the things that truly matter to the heart of God, they neglected. So instead of teaching people to practice integrity and honesty and faithfulness to God, the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching people excuses and loopholes in the rules so that they didn't have to do things as God required. And this, the consequence that Jesus says is, is adversity. That's what woe means. Adversity, sorrow, distress. Because you won't find peace and joy if you neglect what truly matters to the heart of God for you. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. And we need to think about our own lives today. Could it be that in our own lives, we're, we, have, um, we have these blind spots that are not allowing us to see where we've been failing? Maybe we've been very particular about some little things in our lives and what we want from our lives, that we're neglecting the will of God. And his big laws and his big commandments and what he wants from us. Maybe we've been neglecting and not doing the very foundational things of our Christianity. Spending a daily time with the Lord. Seeking opportunities to serve and love our neighbors. Testifying of God's love to those around us. Taking care of our families. Taking care of our spouses. Do you trust that God can really take care of your needs if you're focusing on what truly matters to God first? If we try to change the rules of life, if we try to make things about what we want to do, then everything that we find is adversity, sorrow, 
and distress. So God is calling out on the Pharisees. You need to stop focusing on what not doesn't matter. You need to focus on what truly matters to the heart of God. The second thing that a spiritually healthy person will do is that they will seek God's glory instead of their own. And I know that there's something in the air. There is a bug, especially in this generation, that makes us believe that fame is the ultimate goal. Being known is the ultimate goal. And of course, social media contributes towards that. But even if it's just fame within a small circle, that is still what a lot of people are searching in life. Even someone that, that is a, an introvert can become an extrovert on social media. So there's this belief that you need to be known, you need to climb this social ladder and become someone, otherwise your life doesn't have meaning and it doesn't make any sense. The Pharisees wanted to uh, follow the law flawlessly and they tried their very best. They wanted to be religiously flawless and they looked impressive. They looked the part. If you read a little bit about the Pharisees, they memorized the Torah. They memorized whole books of the Bible. They could quote to you at any point. They literally carried the law of Moses in little boxes in their bodies the whole time. They dressed the part. They, they looked like these are respectable, godly men. They had respectable names. They were called rabbis and teachers. The world of Jerusalem adores them, thinks that they are as godly as someone can be. But the Pharisees, they were only interested in their own fame. They were only interested in their own glory. And there is a real danger for us here, for Christians, in needing to be seen. Maybe we're not going to go as far as the Pharisees, but I think we can admit that we all have a tendency to make things about us. We all have the tendency to make things about us and not the glory of God. Even at church, even as we're supposed to serve each other lovingly and wholeheartedly, it's very easy to fall on this and think it is about us and about how we feel and about our self-importance. And this is particularly hard to those who preach the word of God. And maybe you've noticed this, and maybe you see that. There's so much people drawing attention to themselves and to their names. And James chapter 3, verse 1 says that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And Paul says the following in Galatians 1, verse 10. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds or court favor with God or get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. If the goal of Christianity was for you to be known, is for you to be noticed, is for you to become all of this and that, then Christianity is not the place. Following Jesus is not a place for that. Following Jesus me means going to the, the, the slaughterhouse every single day. Being with Jesus and following him means blindly follow him and do what he calls us to do. Means being at the feet of Jesus every day. Means not pursuing my own will, but pursuing the will of my master. That's what following Christ should look like. It shouldn't look like someone that has it all together. 
that looks like someone that has and looks the part to be a reference. If God knows who we are, that should be enough for us. At your company, at your business, in, in your workplace, people might not even notice you, but God knows who you are, and you matter to God. And that needs to be enough. You don't need to pick on anyone else. You don't have to make yourself feel bigger than what you are. Walk humbly with your Lord, and your Lord will exalt you. Your Lord will pick you up. May your focus be on exalting God and focusing on, on loving him and serving him. And God will take care of your life. He will bless you. All praise and honor and glory, they belong to him alone. In Isaiah 42, it says that God does not share his glory with anyone. So before we walk longer in life, that we want to make things about ourselves and make things about what we want to achieve, Think about this. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. Let's keep our hearts in check. Let's make sure that this is not something that we are stumbling. Another sign of spiritual health is that your influence needs to make people better, not worse. Your life shouldn't be about what others did to you, but about what is the fruit of your life for other people. Jesus said many times, we are the light of the world. And this is a big compliment. But more than a compliment, this is a big responsibility. Because Jesus himself is the light of the world. But he didn't shy away of telling us, you are also the light of the world. And I know that many, we don't feel like the light of the world. Who feels like the light of the world today? Who woke up this morning, got out of bed, looked at the mirror and said, wow, you're shining. You look amazing. Just the look of you, people are going to be like, wow. No, we don't. We don't feel like it many, many times. But Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Wherever room you go in, you are able to make a difference. You are called to make a difference. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, you are called to make a difference. We're not just light receivers, and we have this from the beginning. Thank you, Jesus, because your light shines on me. You take away my darkness. Jesus, shine on me. Jesus, shine on me. I need more of your light. I need more of your peace. I need more of your comfort. We're not just light receivers. We're called to be light givers. There's so much that we can do with the light of Jesus that is shining on us. We have to be someone that shines too, and we have to do it lovingly. Not for people to see who we are and how good we are. Sometimes they don't even have to see us at all. But they can experience God through us. They can experience the grace of God through us. Now this wasn't the case with the Pharisees. It wasn't the case of the experts in the law. Anyone who would cross paths with them, according to Jesus, ended up worse. I'm sure you have some examples in your life. And you've met some people that have this very particular way of making things, let's call it just bad. God didn't call us to simply let people stay the same. Christians are not people that walk and pass by other people and 
people can easily forget that we were even there. No. God wants us to make a difference. God wants us to make people better than the way that we found them. Indifference is as great of a sin as a direct offense. And Jesus showed us that in the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. If you don't know that parable, this man was going on his way to Jericho when he was uh, found by robbers that beat him up and stole everything he had. This man was left to die um, on the floor. And Jesus was telling the story that this priest passed by, this Levite passed by, and they don't want, they don't want it to be contaminated by that man. They don't want to have to deal with that at that moment. It wasn't a good time. So they passed by on the other side and left this man to die. And the parable is called Good Samaritan because we focus on the Good Samaritan. And we focus on the man that had compassion on him and actually did something about this man. But the parable is also about the Pharisee. It's also about the Levite. People that are supposed to be godly. But they felt comfortable enough to leave a poor man left to die. As much as we tell and we appreciate this story, and it's a story that we love to tell our kids, everyone can understand the meaning of this parable. But how much are we focusing on our lives in being like the Good Samaritan? The Bible says in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A spiritual life that is healthy is someone that is focusing on leaving people better than when we found them. How are we impacting the lives of people that we cross paths with? Are they people getting better because they got to know you? Because they got to experience the goodness of God through your life? I think I had more to say, but we have to move on. Finally, a last sign of spiritual health is letting God's word correct you and guide you. Now, the Pharisees, they continued a legacy. They weren't the first ones. These ones that met with Jesus at this time, they weren't the first ones to reject the word of God. No. They come from a long line of people that God was sending prophets, God was sending messengers with a message to people to change their lives, for people to change their hearts, to repent, and to come closer to God. But like I said, when you're corrected, you have two choices. Or you harden your heart, or you take the correction and you actually change. But the Pharisees and a lot of people in Israel, they only chose the first one. And they went to the extreme of killing those who God sent with a message of correction. They actually got to the point of killing those who proclaimed the word of God and told people, hey, this is not right what you're doing. Now, I don't want to accuse any of you of doing that, of killing people of God, even though perhaps I may have to be careful getting out of church today. Who knows? But... We may not have the tendency to kill the messengers. But let me ask you this morning, how many times do we simply 
killed the message instead. How many times we kill the message that God is sending to us? It's easier to do. And you don't go to jail for it. It's not a crime. Just ignore it. We give these excuses. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't understand my context. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. She thinks she understands my context and my culture. He thinks that he's better than me. This messenger isn't perfect too. Who is he? Who is she to say anything about the word of God and what I should be doing with my life? And we close our hearts and we become even more stubborn. We kill the message constantly. Even on a Sunday morning like this. I hope you're seated comfortably. It's not the most expensive chair you're going to sit on this week, but it was prepared with you with a lot of love so that you could be here comfortably listening to the word of God and worshiping and being in community together. We are proclaiming and we have microphones and speakers. We make sure that whatever is happening here, you're able to be part of it and embrace it and understand and engage and having the screens. We want to make sure that the word of God is connecting with you and ministering to your heart. But you know something many times that is not what is happening. Because our hearts are somewhere else. Because today I'm actually serving in the connect team or actually serving in, at the sound or I'm actually doing something and oh, I need to focus on what's coming after. And I, Reuben is here and the preachers are here and people are teaching the word of God here, but our minds are in the loop somewhere else. And we think it's okay because it's for God. It's not. You're killing the message. Forget about me. You can be looking at me and I feel that we're connected. Maybe you're not, but you're trying to please me. I thank you for it. It helps. If everyone was looking at their phones, this would be a very uncomfortable moment. But what I'm sharing with you is what is in the word of God. And the point of this word is for you to let it sink inside your life and receive the correction that comes from God to you. It's not always going to be easy, and I know that I have this tendency. I spoke with Gabby this week. I have this tendency, and I, it was self-evaluation. I can be a bit more negative and focus a lot on, on things that are wrong instead of inspiring you with the things that are great and things that move on. Okay, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. But this is what I have received from the Lord to give you this morning. Sometimes and many times, unfortunately, correction is necessary. Correction and discipline is what allows us to grow. Revelation 3.19 says, God says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Take this seriously and change the way you think and act. God's correction is a sign of his love for us. It's a sign that God cares for you. You, I don't know what happened to you during this weekend. Maybe a lot of things w went on and you think that this message isn't for you. And maybe that's the feeling that you have. But let me tell you, that's not the reality of things. If you're here this morning, this is the word of God for you. This is what you and I, we needed to listen from the Lord this morning. 
Sometimes we come to God and we see the priority is what is happening. God needs to fix what is happening and the things that are around me so that I can feel okay. And God is saying you need to focus first on what's inside. Hebrews 12, verse 10, and I'm closing. God's discipline is always what? God's discipline is always? It's good. Someone that calls our attention is good. When God calls us and tells us, hey, it's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he feels that you're a failure. It's not that you're so far away from him. No. But if there is something in your life that is still not up to God's standard, it's still not what God designed you to be, if there is something that needs to change in you, God's discipline is always good for us. It's not to make you feel bad. It's not to make you feel like you're a failure. But it's to make you grow. So that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It's not going to be pleasant, my friends. These four points that I'm talking about, they are not pleasant. I agree with you. We're together in this boat. It's not comfortable for you as it is not comfortable for me. But God didn't call us for comfort. He called us for growth. And God is very practical. And maybe you're not going to leave this auditorium feeling like you own it and you're so great. And thank God I'm not a Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like that man. What do you want to harvest in life? Do you want a good crop? Do you want a life that really honors God? Is that what you're seeking? Is that what you want with your whole life? Is to focus on what God wants from you? Is what on God has in store for you? And if you do, we need to plant the seeds of righteousness. We want to plant the right seeds in order to have a good harvest. Let God work in you, correct you, guide you. And, and notice that it requires training. For those who are trained in this way, train means you're not going to get it in the first try. It's not going to be solved because I preached to you this morning and now all of a sudden we all change. We're all perfect. We all have our problem free in our spiritual lives. It's not true. We have to practice it. We need to get better at it. We need to be trained in this way. It requires us not to let hope go down in our hearts. It requires us to fully trust God in this process. As uncomfortable and as hard as it might be. But what is at stake is our spiritual health. I want to invite the worship team to come.
we're going to enter a time of worship again, and that's a beautiful time that we, we process now, and we want to process now what we've heard from the Lord and, and speak in prayer and, and have this time with God for God to help us process. Because now Reuben is going to be quiet for a little bit. But the Spirit of God wants to still keep speaking to you this morning. Some of us, maybe we can identify that we suffer from many of the same problems like the Pharisees did. That no matter how hard we try, it's not working. We can use a cover-up or religious deeds or religious talk, lingo. We may be focusing so much on looking the part so that we are not failing. But you know something, our deeds are not a blanket that cover our sins. What is happening inside of us, God always knows. God knows all things. There is no way that you and I, we can make up for our sins. There is no way that you can have a pure heart on your own. But that's why we're here this morning. Because Jesus promises us a brand new heart. It's true, this heart that we have is very flawed. And the best thing that we can do is say, God, here I am. Take this heart from me and give me a brand new one. The gospel is the good news that we can be saved by Jesus and God can do a brand new, start fresh, a wonderful work in our lives. A heart that is cleansed. A heart that truly loves Him. A heart that is pure from the inside out. And I pray that this will be true for us this morning. That we will not be a people that are so concerned about cleaning the outside of the plates, outside of the cups, and looking the part there are people that are constantly saying, God, only you can clean the inside of my heart. God, only you can expose the problem that is inside of me. Only you, God, can make me live a life of righteousness. And that is the power of Jesus. That is the power of our Savior. That we will not stop proclaiming here every day, wherever we go, Jesus is still the one that has power to save you. And in this community, I pray that we continue to serve Christ this way with a genuine, with a sincere, with a pure heart. Because if we start thinking, hey, I go to church and I serve, I'm part of a team and I go to life groups and I give my tithes, my offerings, and somehow because of this, God is not going to be so upset with me. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my very best. My friends, this was the whole point of this morning. It's not about what you do. It's about what you need. And you need Jesus inside. You need the light to shine inside. You need to let the light 
of Jesus shined inside. 